ignition sequence start. Three, two, one. Lock and load. It's time for the gun rack with your hosts, Joey and Drew. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the gun rack, Sonoran Desert Institute School of Firearms Technology's official podcast. I am Drew Poplin. No Joey Upper today. I'm going to be taking this one solo. And today, I'm going to do my top nine war films of all time. Some of y'all might recall a couple weeks ago, Joey put out his list. It's a very good episode. I was a big fan of it. You know, I went back because I did the editing on it and, you know, listening to it. I was, you know, you know, sometimes editing can be a bore, but it was nice getting his thoughts and opinions. So I figured I would share mine with you this week. Quick note before we dive in. You know, I don't want to waste too much time because this could take a hot second. But just a quick note, I'd like to reiterate that these are my favorites. I'm not saying that this is what I think the best war films of all time are. No, these are just happen to be my favorites. So you're totally free to agree, disagree with me. In fact, actually, I would love it if you guys commented what your top nine war films of all time are in the comments. A lot of these films that I have that ended up on my list are there because of a personal connection that I have towards the film. So for example, spoiler, I have The Dirty Dozen on my list. It's a film that I thought was pretty darn good, but it's also one of my favorites because I remember growing up and watching the film with my father. And because of that personal connection, you know, it scores higher than some of these other films. So while there's excellent war films that aren't going to be on this list, I might give a honorable mention or a shout out to you, but even if I don't, it's a huge genre and um, that's why we do these things. That's why we make these lists to get different insights. Uh, so again, I'd love to hear y'all's feedback. Without further ado, let's get to the honorable mentions. I have it divided up into three different categories. Uh, the first one is not necessarily war films. So under this, I have films like Forrest Gump, Casablanca. Forrest Gump I have on there. You know, the battle sequences are, you know, they're okay. But I wanted to give a shout out to this particular film because of Gary Sinise's performance. He does an incredible job with Lieutenant Dan. I, I still think one of my favorite scenes in any movie is the scene of him and Forrest in that bar on New Year's Eve. And, you know, everyone's celebrating the coming of the new year. And Tina Dan just has this like thousand yard stare. Yeah, I remember seeing that and just just thinking, wow. Also, Gary Sinise seems like a really cool dude. He does a lot of work for veterans through his foundation, the Gary Sinise Foundation. To quote his website, it says, At the Gary Sinise Foundation, we serve our nation by honoring our defenders, veterans, and first responders, their families, and those in need. We do this by creating and supporting unique Programs designed to entertain, educate, inspire, strengthen, and build communities. So shout out to Gary Sinise for that. The other film I had, I mentioned of it, was Casablanca, 1942 film directed by Michael Curtis. Joey talked about it. It's almost universally regarded as one of the greatest films of all time. And it's definitely one of my favorites. It's funny, my wife had never seen it. So a couple months ago, I showed it to her. 
she's not a big fan of older films. So, you know, she wasn't sure what she's getting into, but everything from the dialogue, the story, the acting, it, it's all there. It's a great film. Um, so that was the not necessarily war films, honorable mentions. I also had ones that I haven't seen, but have heard near universal praise for. So a lot of these are films that Joey mentioned. So Waterloo, um, all Quiet on the Western Front, Das Boot. Go listen to his episode if you want to know more about those, because again, I haven't seen them. But I can respect them, because they're films I know about, know a pretty decent amount about, and respect it for the technical achievements they are. Also in this category, I have Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. And from everything I've seen, a lot of care was put into this film by everyone, but except maybe the marketing team. It was marketed in a weird way, but I don't think that's necessarily on the filmmakers. That's more on the studio. Ron, the 1985 film directed by Akira Kurosawa. If I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes. Uh, sorry, I was just making sure. The plot derives from King Lear, the William Shakespeare play. And so, you know, if you're a big Shakespeare fan, maybe consider and check it out because Kurosawa is uh, an incredible director. The other one that I haven't seen, but I wanted to give a shout out to was uh, Bridge on the River Kwai. It was one that Joey didn't have on his list. Guess me and him need to watch it sometime, but you know, hear a lot of good things about that one. And uh, the final category for honorable mentions is ones that just missed the list. These are films that I have seen that I really like. Just wasn't enough room for them. So the first one of those is Apocalypse Now. Great film. Honestly, if it was a top 10 list, it would have made it. Second would be pretty much any war film directed by Stanley Kubrick. Simply put, the guy knows how to shoot a film. War films were Dr. Strangelove, Paths of Glory, Spartacus, Full Metal Jacket. Spartacus, meh. All right. Uh, Paths of Glory is underrated pretty much everywhere outside of maybe the, uh, the critic sphere. Dr. Strangelove isn't really a traditional war film per se, but honestly, pretty funny movie. And I loved the first half of Full Metal Jacket. The other half was just all right, in my opinion. But again, respected for the technical achievements they are. And um, gosh, you know, I think this Stanley Kubrick guy knows his way around the camera. I want to give a shout out to Black Hawk Down, directed by Ridley Scott. Massive cast. A lot of future stars are on that one. It's a good movie. And one that I haven't seen because it hasn't come out yet, but I'm really excited for it is he is doing a Napoleon film. It's going to be directed by him, and it's going to star Joaquin Phoenix. It's interesting. Napoleon, there was going to be a film about Napoleon made by Stanley Kubrick, but for some reason it just never was able to get off the ground. I would have loved to see that one. But I feel like Ridley Scott could do a good job with this. Him and Joaquin Phoenix teaming up again. Of course, they worked on another amazing film that might as well be an honorable mention, Gladiator. And so I'm excited to see what that is. Keep your eyes open for that one. So now I've already given you a bunch of films uh, that are in the honorable mentions. Now let's get into the official list. So number nine for me is the 1964 film Zulu, directed by Charles De La Torre. And for each of these, I'm going to give a synopsis and then just a couple thoughts on it. So here's the synopsis for this one. In 1879, the Zulu nation hands colonial British forces a resounding defeat in battle. 
nearby regiment of the British Army, Army takes over a station run by a missionary, played by Jack Hawkins, and his daughter, uh, Yulta Jacobson, as a supply depot and hospital under the command of Lieutenant Jean Chard, played by Stanley Baker, and his subordinate, Gonville Bromhead, played by the wonderful Michael Caine. Unable to abandon their wounded soldiers, even in dire circumstances, the regiment defend their stations against the Zulu warriors. Now, Michael Caine is awesome. This this we all know. There aren't too many films that I can recall that have been made about the Anglo-Zulu War, which, yeah, makes sense, as it was only about a five-month-long war. Regardless, I think it'd be cool to do a future episode about the Anglo-Zulu War. I feel like it is one of the rare war films where you feel compassion for both sides of the conflict, both armies. The Zulus were trying to defend their homeland and their way of life. They were fierce, fierce warriors, and they were bravely fighting against the might of a whole empire. But, you know, on the other hand, the bravery of the British soldiers at the battle in the film, uh, the Battle of Rourke's Drift, is just as commendable. For those unaware, the synopsis really kind of downplays the odds in this battle. It was basically the British version of the Battle of Thermopylae. So in it, this battle, there were around 150 British soldiers, and about a fifth of them were sick and wounded already at the field hospital. These soldiers are defending against the might of 4,000 Zulu warriors. And, you know, of course, the British had superior technology, but still, that's one British soldier for every 26 Zulu warriors. And it actually happened. That's wild. It's a film. It, it can give you goosebumps just from a scene of people singing to each other. In addition, as someone who was lucky enough to live in South Africa for a couple of years, it's cool seeing stories about a country that I care a lot about. So Zulu comes in at number nine. Number eight, we have Saving Private Ryan, directed by Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg in 1998. Joey already gave a pretty decent description of the story, and I imagine most of you guys have seen it by now. But, you know, Saving Private Ryan probably would have made my list even if it was just the D-Day sequence, even if it just... If the movie ended after that, it still would probably be on my list. Um, I had never seen a war film like it. It was very, very shocking to me the first time I watched it. Credible cast, good writing, good directing. And um, Joey shouted out a couple of the actors that were involved. But I want to give a shout out to one he didn't mention, Giovanni Ribisi. He gave probably my favorite performance in the film. He played Irwin Wade. Some of you guys might recognize him as the combat medic. Powerful film, really well done. It deserves the reputation it gets. Now, number seven. This might be a surprise to some of y'all. I have the 1968 Brian G. Hutton-directed film, Where Eagles Dare. Synopsis of this movie, a crack team of allied soldiers stages a daring rescue during World War II. A U.S. general is being held captive in an opposing castle fort high in the Bavarian Alps. This audacious plan calls for Lieutenant Schaefer, Major Smith, and other operatives to parachute down wearing Nazi disguises. They'll penetrate the mountain outpost while undercover operatives assist them from within. But their mission changes when they discover that there's a traitor in their midst. If you've listened to the podcast for a while, you might be aware of the fact that I am a big Clint Eastwood fan. 
I'll probably watch any movie that he is acting in because the guy's just so freaking cool. But Richard Burton is a legendary actor in his own rights. So it's really cool seeing these two on screen together. It's not a pair that I would necessarily think in my head to pair together, but it's one that I feel like works. Um, I'm a sucker for films where there's a mole. You know, there's someone who isn't who they say they are in a group of people, but you're not sure who it is. And this is one of those films that I watched as a kid with my dad. And I remember being engrossed by it, despite the fact it was like, well, like a two and a half hour movie. It's pretty long. It's different tonally from a lot of the other war films. Uh, you know, I'd agree that it is very important to convey the horror of war more so than, uh, I guess, the valor of war. But having said that, a good movie is a good movie. And I like Where Eagles Dare. Also, there's a Misfit song written about it. It's kind of cool. Anyway, number six. Directed by David Ayer in 2014, we have Fury. In April 1945, the Allies are making their final push in the European theater. A battle-hardened army sergeant named Don War Daddy Collier, leading a Sherman take and a five-man crew, undertakes a deadly mission behind enemy lines. Hopelessly outnumbered, outgunned, and saddled with an inexperienced soldier in their midst, War Daddy and his men face overwhelming odds as they move to strike at the heart of Nazi Germany. Well, speaking of a tonal shift, this one's on the complete opposite end of where Eagles Dare or, you know, even something like The Longest Day, which is a, another film I enjoyed, actually. While many war films are known for their big star-studded casts, this one takes a different approach, instead focusing on a tank crew of four men. Five men, sorry. Although it's debatable, you know, honestly, Logan Learman's character is pretty much a kid, which is sad. But... The performances in this are great. I feel like the chemistry between the crew is really, really interesting and really neat to see. It's brutal. It's sad. Uh, and it does get docked a few points for uh, inaccuracies. Um, but overall, it's a good film. And it's on my list. Number five, a uh, another film from... Uh, the 2010s this one's 2017 dunkirk directed by christopher nolan of course many of y'all know the story of dunkirk so you know it's a rescue mission essentially and uh, i really enjoyed this film i remember my first time seeing it i was in this imax theater in charlotte north carolina i was with one of my best friends and we kind of we liked watching christopher nolan movies together so we went out we didn't make a plan or anything we we're just like hey let's go watch dunkirk and, you know, I remember being impressed, but I didn't really connect with it the first time I saw it. I thought it was very well done, cool story, but for some reason it didn't really, you know, connect with me. But then I remember watching it by myself the second time I watched it. And I remember really, really connecting with it then. I like the role that time plays in the film. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about switching between time and different perspectives and the majority of the film your blood pressure is you know, kind of like you know it, it's going it's going so uh yeah that's uh number five dunkirk number four and i already mentioned it in the intro or in my little disclaimer 
but I have The Dirty Dozen. It was a film made in 1967 by Robert Aldrich. So basically, it's about this colonel, and they have a mission to parachute across enemy lines, and um, they're supposed to take out German personnel that are like stationed in, the, I want to say it's like a French chateau or something like that. And so they are recruited from death row, and they're promised their sentences will be commuted if they survive. Um, it's essentially a suicide mission. In fact, I'd say it's what Suicide Squad could have been if Suicide Squad wasn't a complete dog crap. As I mentioned before, this one was on the list because of my personal connection to the film. Uh, but it's also just a really entertaining watch. I feel like there is that divide between older war films and newer ones. I feel like maybe in the 70s, there was a bit of a tonal shift in how most war films were made. And this was you know, sort of at the tail end of that. It was made in 1967. But they did have more of an optimistic look on it. But it's still you know, a bit of a sad film. I mean, if you really come to care about a lot of these uh, guys at the end of the film... I mean, if we're talking about stellar casts, you know, this one has got you covered. It's got Lee Marvin, Charles Bronson, John Cassavetes, Ernest Borgnine, Donald Sutherland, and freaking Hall of Fame running back Jim Brown. This screenplay was based on the 1965 bestseller by E.M. Nathanson, who was inspired by a real-life World War II unit, behind-the-lines demolition specialist from the 101st Airborne Division name, the Filthy 13. Another possible inspiration was the public offer made to President Roosevelt by 44 prisoners serving life sentences at Oklahoma State Penitentiary to serve in the Pacific on suicide missions against the Japanese. Um, cool film. And, you know, with something like The Dirty Dozen or Where Eagles Dare, is it like technically the best film? No, but it's one of my favorites. Now, for a film that is very technically well done, and again, another tonal shift. I feel like I keep going back and forth between you know, more lighthearted ones and um, ones that are just bleak. <laughs> this one is very, very bleak. It is a um, film made by director Elam Kilmoff in 1985. It's called Come and See. This is one that some of y'all might not be familiar with. I'm reading most of these synopsises from Google rather than formulate my own. The invasion of a village in Belarusia, otherwise known as Belarus, by German forces sends young Flora to the forest to join the weary resistant fighters against his family's wishes. There he meets a girl, Glasha, who accompanies him back to his village. On returning home, Flora finds his family and fellow peasants massacred. This continued survival amidst the brutal debris of war becomes increasingly nightmarish, a battle between despair and hope. Come and See is a war film unlike any other war film I've ever seen. It is surreal. It's like a haunting hallucination. If you're considering watching this, please be warned. It's a tough watch. And uh, it's also kind of an art house style film. So, you know, I know that's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Some neat facts about it. The director, when he's only a few years old, actually survived the Battle of Stalingrad. They were able to escape. And one of the cameramen, was a real Belarusian partisan during World War II. Um, yeah, this movie, it feels like hell on earth. And, you know, coming from someone who kind of prides themselves on their tolerance with bleak and disturbing films, this one was uh, still not a fun watch. And yeah, yeah. 
Um, before I move on, I wanted to share a quote I was researching. And um, so during one of the um, after film discussions, like one of the talkbacks, there was an elderly German man who stood up during the talkback and he said, I was a soldier in the Wehrmacht, moreover an officer in the Wehrmacht. I traveled through all of Poland to Belarus, finally reaching Ukraine. I will testify. Everything that is told in this film is the truth. And the most frightening and most shameful thing for me is that this film will be seen by my children and grandchildren. Heavy stuff. Number two, uh, and it's a film that Joey mentioned on his list, I believe. It's uh, the 1993 film Gettysburg, directed by Ronald F. Maxwell. I'm not going to say much because, again, Joey talked about it, uh, but it is incredible. It's excellent in all aspects. The acting is very well done. It's a great watch. I also tend to share his views about gods and generals, which hurts. It hurts me because I remember being a little kid and not having much exposure to the Civil War, and gods and generals is my first exposure to it. But uh, Gettysburg is really, really good. Check it out. And number one, so we finally reached the end of this list. Number one, I have... The Disney Channel original movie, Cadet Kelly, starring Hilary Duff and Christy Carlson Romano. No, 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 no. I'm kidding, everyone. I'm kidding. Put your pitchforks away. It's not Cadet Kelly. It's a 1962 film directed by David Lean. Uh, a little, a little ditty called Lawrence of Arabia. I believe Joey talked about it last one. I'm like 99% sure he talked about, you know, what it was about. Honestly, there was a little hesitation on my part with putting this on the list as I feel like it's much more of a character study of T.E. Lawrence than necessarily a war film. I mean, after all, it, it kept other stuff off. But the difference between this and Forrest Gump or some of those other films you know, is the sheer scope of it. I don't know if it's on Waterloo level. I can't say that because, again, I haven't seen Waterloo. But there is a magnificent scope. Some of these shots they do, some of these set pieces, how did they do that? Furthermore, Peter O'Toole gives, in my opinion, perhaps the greatest performance ever put to celluloid. Really, like, he's incredible. Um, and I feel like the film, it really does a good job capturing the duality of T.E. Lawrence, of this guy. You know, who is he? Who is he? There's even a line in it where... Uh, the camera goes to him and he's like just staring off kind of like not saying anything. And while someone is asking, who are you? Who are you? Uh, it's a really long film. Very, very long. And, um, you know, the Alec Guinness thing, a little off. You know, the movie's lucky that Alec Guinness is an incredible actor in his own right. Don't know if he should be playing a, an, an Arabian prince, but... Yeah, that's neither here nor there. If you haven't seen it, take a Saturday. In fact, maybe uh, take this Saturday and watch it. It's a long film, but it's breathtaking. Some of the shots in this film are just... Some of the shots in this film are just... Mwah. And that is our list. Again, uh, I'm sure there's going to be uh, some picks on here that there's plenty of disagreement about, but I would really love for you guys to comment your list. I'm not saying like in a way of like, oh, well, you know, show me your list and I'll, you know, I'll judge that. No, um, 
again, there's so many films in the genre, so many good films too, that I know I left off even the honorable mentions. But I think it'd be really interesting to see kind of like where my picks stack up with y'all's and, you know, we can see which maybe where there's some uh, commonality in that. I think that'd be really cool. Um, anyway, guys, thank you so much. That has been this episode of the gun rack. Knows Drew's clues today. And no tales from the range. Uh, so with that being said, have fun, stay safe, and we will see you at the range. Sonoran Desert Institute is an online school accredited by the DEAC. It is headquartered at 1555 West University Drive in Tempe, Arizona. For more information about how you can craft your firearms future, visit sdi.edu.